It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome to Real Adventures. Talking all things fishing, boating and the great outdoors. For Razorback 4x4, Australia's best four-wheel drive sea covers. With protection like no other. And Club Marine. Need insurance for your boat or jet ski? Discover why boating's just better with Club Marine. Here's your hosts, Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Habgood. Good morning and welcome to Real Adventures from wherever you are right around the country. Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Habgood joining you this morning, all for Razorback 4x4. There's nothing like Razorback 4x4. Fishing, boating, the great outdoors, we're chatting it all. Redmond, good morning to you. Fantastic to be here as usual, Patrick. Good morning to everyone having a listen, a bit of a yarn this morning. What's going on, Patrick? What's been happening? Mate, I'm getting the absolute shellacking uh, pushed, shoved out of me at the moment. Less fishing than you. It's been very much uh, head down, bum up phase of the pre-season for the Geelong Cats and no doubt pretty much every other... AFL team. So at what's the in, what's involved in that now? Yeah, well, slightly, yeah, when you say push shove, you're an elite athlete, so harden up a bit. But you're elite athlete. You got to what you do. Fair enough. No, well, yeah, like you go to footy training back in the day as a youngster, and I'll go to training. You have a bad night of running, and you get flogged, and you're stuffed, and you get home, and you're buggered. You guys get go to training, you go get flogged, you get buggered. But are you boys stuffed, or is it just another day? We finish right, and I. Um, I head home, and then I gear up for three kids at home. Most of our players, they just go home and collapse on the couch. It's worse yeah. at home than it is at the club. But at the, <laughs> at the moment, we're in a, we've, we've actually changed our pre-season, and I'll, I'll, I'll get into the fishing soon, Redmond, so just let, let me on a tangent here for one. Um, but we've, we've changed from three main sessions a week to two main sessions this 2024 season, pre-season. And the reason for that is we've actually really increased our high speed. So we've changed. So like personally, I've gone from like 450-odd metres for a week in terms of high speed. Now, high speed is above 24 k's an hour. Or, because we are a fishing show, you know, you're looking around that 14 knot. <laughs> you know, 12 to 14 knots. Yeah, you're going to start you know. talking miles. <laughs> so, you know, you, you might have it up on the plane. Um, so change... That, which means you do need a bit more recovery time because you are getting the that simple high speed. So um, that's been solid. And the reason behind it is to try and bulletproof hamstrings. So by the time you hit games, right, it should feel like games are almost a deload. Yeah. So gone from 450 metres a week to probably like 1,500, 2,000 and beyond. Well, so that's what you're at now. That's where we're at now. 450, then you want it, yeah, yeah, right. Like three, four times as much, like huge. So, um, and we're now, like we're what, a couple of weeks away from our first practice game. We play Carlton on the 22nd mm. of February, so not far away. Um we're in that really heavy loading phase. And, and all teams will do this, right? So even in the pre-season practice games and pre-season game, I think there's only one, um, the guys will really... You'll still be training your ass off 
and then you'll deload probably three weeks out from the well, season. Well, for the dumb people like myself, <laughs> what's a deload? So main session Monday, we're taught sort of 12 to 14 clicks. Main session Thursday, similar. One of those days be more like you know, heavy football oriented. So, so now where that Thursday is pretty much mostly match practice. Yep. Breakdown drills. Teams will have things that they're focusing on, with, you know, whether it's you know, defending the ball inside your forward 50 and you'll just do rep after rep after rep. Or it might be you know, ball movement from half back. You're trying to, as much as possible, repeat the things that you're getting a yeah, lot yeah, of yeah. in game. So it's, what it's meant is a lot less time for fishing than it than over the uh, the Christmas break. Well, that's but the thing. People think pre-season, they think that you've actually got time, but you actually don't. You're actually the busier opposite. than you are in the season. Correct. So. Although Brad Close continues to find ways to play golf. He does. So, you know, each to their own. You've been getting out of it lately. Yeah, I've been on fact, the water and been I've, pretty good. I've, I've got a couple of questions for you because I previously, and it seems to be whenever you took my boat out, uh, you'd always gaff fish. <laughs> what? What have what? Why the change? So you're talking about the you're, tuna. You're netting everything now. So have you changed in your old age? And it's funny because I get a lot of social media questions where people see me netting fish. And number one, there's actually quite a few reasons. Now, the gaff, right? The gaff is for those that are playing at home. A gaff is a big hook. Basically, the fish come up and you gaff the fish over the side of the boat, reaches you out a couple of meters, and you can swing a fish in. Now, for big barrel tuna, obviously not netting those, Patrick, but these smaller school no. fish, I tend to net all of them. Now, the reason I don't use the gaff is, number one, I don't clean my boat. So, if this <laughs> reduces... Or, or, as you like to say, I don't like to wash the luck off I don't wash it. the luck off it. So, number one, you gaff a fish, all of a sudden you put this big hole in it, Blood goes everywhere, and we know what pelagic fish are like, tuna in particular. Shockers. They bleed everywhere. as well, that blood. It's horrible. So they bleed everywhere. Number two, for me, as important as it is to catch the fish, for me, it's important to take a beautiful photo of the fish. And I love displaying these fish. You'll notice all my photos are usually 10 out of 10. I try and make them look as good as possible, clean them up nicely, etc. Well, what you do is, of course, salt guide. So um, it's an online tutorial app. It's videos and it's, to the day, basically fishing reports, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And basically trying to stick up to date with everything that's being caught and trying to teach different techniques that people aren't familiar with along the way, showing different things so people can learn how to fish and, of course, use the normal methods that we use to catch fish. And one of those methods, like we're going back to with this netting of it, it's also a tremendous way to release fish too. Yep. So you can't gaff a fish and release a fish. Where you get these nice nets these days, you can net these fish, lay them on the boat and use them. But the big fish... What have you got? Yeah, hook them? Yeah, just a hook them net. There's all different styles. Now I find you can get the real soft nets and whatnot, but I find they don't move through the water that good and they're quite hard to net. Yep. So using actually my gummy net, I actually find is the best. Probably not Because you can move it quickly through the water. Yeah, you can move it quick through yeah. the water and change yep. directions. Where if you use those, I actually, was, I actually bought... Uh, a hook'em net that's meant to be really soft for the fish, but you're trying to net the tuna and the boat's in gear. Yeah. You can't hold the net again. You just can't do it. It's too hard. Yeah. So we actually, it's probably not as good for the fish, but the fish are bloody strong, let's be honest. Yeah. Like a net's not going to hurt them by the time you throw them back. It's so better than a gaff. It's much better than a gaff. <laughs> and then once we get them into the boat, and I think your next question that I seen on the run sheet was about bleeding them as well, wasn't it? Yes, was correct. It? Yeah, about bleeding them. So basically what we're trying to do as well when bleeding the fish, oh, I'm 
the gap when you gaff a fish, it pretty much bleeds the fish out. So if you're going to gaff him, bleed the fish over the boat. You can even tie a rope on and, and drag him if you really wanted to to get the yep. blood out of him. A lot of people do that. A lot of commercial guys do that. Uh, but for me, what I try and do with these tuna is net them in, beautiful photo, and then I put them in my live bait tank, yep. and I have the water running, run the water through the fish, and I... So nick, where, do you, where do you cut them? Nick where? the lateral line. So there's a main artery that runs near the lateral line there. It's about two, three inches from that peck fin, roughly, along the middle of the fish. And basically what you're trying to do is nick that lateral line, and you don't want to go too deep. Now, if you cut a big four... If you cut four or five centimetres into the fish... You don't need to do that. The artery actually runs just underneath the skin. So if you actually cut through it and... The, like all a of a centimetre, 10 mil, and it's pretty much getting It's it. done, 100%. Yeah. It's done. Yeah. And the problem is, if you go too deep, Pat, you actually allow that blood that you cut through the artery and then below it to bleed through the fish. So and we don't why, want... We that, don't, that's why it was bloody there. That's why it was bloody the other day, because yep. I watched you and Reese do it. <laughs> uh, but basically, basically, what I'm trying to do is get... I think the, I got the other side. I think I got my quad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised Reese didn't do something like that. But basically, we're trying he to get... doesn't have a quad. It's the, fine. The, no, he's, little, a, he's, a big, he's a big boy. Little daddy long leg legs. He's yeah. a very large man. But basically, I'm trying to reduce the blood in my boat for a start, for the mess. And then, of course, you can use all the tuna champion techniques, whatever you want to do, and they recommend spiking it and then running uh, the, down the nervous system a wire to shut down the nervous system if you really want to go into that amount of effort, which is well worth it. But, yep. uh, like, it's it's a whole other technique as well. So you need to learn how to do that. But bleeding it, and then ice is the most crucial out of all the techniques. So if you're going to start doing those techniques, start with the bleeding and then the ice, and then have a look at the rest of them because that I think the bleeding and the ice, getting the guts out and getting them on ice, is the most important thing. It's funny. I was watching some something you posted on socials the other day, and it was a deep diver that you'd caught a fish on, and just how quickly these fish change what they're eating, and I found that really fascinating because when we'd fish maybe two two and a half weeks ago, it was all on the skirts. It was on the four inch white night. Um, which is for which is a reef thief lure, and it was on the um, the teaser bars. Yep, everything was it was just that, and it felt like you know the deep dive was a bit of a waste of time. Yeah, all of a sudden, that's what they're biting. Like, ha- you, how fast are they changing what they're feeding on? It's obviously why the spread's so important to have different variations in the lures that you're using. And it comes down to on the day what the fish are doing to determine, I guess, things like that. Now, what I mean by that is, basically, there's the fish will always do different things. So some days they're going to have birds on them, some days they're going to be sunning, some days they're going to have a different type of bird on them and whatnot. And then you've got your casting method, you've got your stick baits, your poppers. For If you can't get them on the trawl, change to those to try and get a reaction bite. Then you've got to always try divers. Divers will work always good because they get down a little bit deeper and you get another, I reckon it's a reaction bite. They come up and they've got this thing that's quite erratic running off the back of them. So there's all different methods that you can use. But yes, the, that day, the divers were working good. And this is about being equipped and ready and basically having your stuff ready to go. So it's just a matter of clipping things on and tying a couple of knots. You're not sitting there trying to put single hooks on out on the boat. You're not trying to rig all the stuff. It's all done at home in the shed and you're away to go. So be ready on the day. King, you'll get well, the patterns will determine basically, uh, I guess, what what they're going to do for a period of time. So you'll find maybe for a few days before a moon, they might be on something and they might change after the moon. So different patterns will they'll, they'll slowly change. Yep. But it's about having everything ready to go, and you'll catch a hell of a lot more fish. Uh, a little bit of boating news around the nation: the world's first 
Avicus. 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 Powered Sounds like a production boat will be on the US market mid-year. Now, this was uh, reported by BoatSales.com. Great little news source for those looking um, to keep themselves abreast of what's happening in the boating market. Um, but Aqua Sports Boats, which specialise in... Now, this is a US-based, modestly-sized high-end saltwater fishing boat. So, you know, 40-foot centre consoles, I'm, I think we're, we're talking about. Um, their new technology around um, Avicus power, what it means, mono hulls, and, and how that works in the Australian marketplace. Um, interesting to see when that hits, if it hits the Australian market. Mm. Not sure how it's going to go. Mm. Something probably not for you and I. No, I mean we see the <laughs> we see the we see the high end market in Australia. It just isn't thirty to forty foot, you know, powered centre consoles. It is in the US. It isn't in Australia. But a bit of a watch this space. The other one is uh, Yamaha have teased, and what most think it is a new three hundred and fifty horsepower V eight. Now, quietly in 2020, they halted production of their 5.7-litre uh, V8F350. Now, the reliability issues were sort of a bit of a talking point and sort of just disappeared. Now, we, we know that there's been an incredibly popular um, replacement to some extent, their V8 425 XOT offshore, which is, you know, one of the best, big power outboard engines that you can get in Australia. Been very, very popular. But that mid-range, not mid-range, high-range high, uh, high range 350 is what has been lacking in Yamaha and reports are we're going to see that back in Australian waters. And the other one is Mercury have released their Avatar 75E and 110E, which I'm assuming you'll be extraordinarily oh, excited about. Can't wait. I mean, so, I, I do like all my Mercury products, except that. <laughs> so Mercury, sorry, sorry, the Mercury. I'll probably lose to get the sack there, part of the team. But so Mercury's electric outboard range, so they're extending it out. So we know they've got the seven point five e, which is sort of the equivalent three horsepower. Um, and now we're seeing a greater investment in that technology. The difference is like the the seven point five e. Avatar was like cartridge. So picture like a Ryobi drill, and if you run out of charge, you yep. put a new cartridge in. These other outboards won't be that. We don't know from Mercury the sales figures on how the Avatars have sold. There's fanfare at the start. It seems to have sort of dipped. So mm. perhaps less uptake in the Australian market than potentially they were hoping. Um, but it'll be interesting to see the fact that they've actually doubled down and gone even bigger again, what it will need is an external battery source um, and yep. how that rolls out in Australian waters um, remains to be seen. But that is the sort of boating front, Redmond, as we're heading to the break, I think. Sounds like a plan because we've got the whip around coming up next. We're going to go right around the country and see what's biting because there's been plenty happening. All thanks to our good mates at Razorback 4x4. You're listening to Real Adventures. 
You're listening to Real Adventures, talking all things fishing, boating, and the great outdoors for Razorback 4x4, Australia's best four-wheel drive sea covers with protection like no other. And Club Marine. Need insurance for your boat or jet ski? Discover why boating's just better with Club Marine. Welcome back to Real Adventures for Razorback 4x4. There's nothing like Razorback 4x4. Hey, Redmond, uh, it's yes. time for the whip around. It is, mate. One of our favourite segments. We get to talk about fishing. We, uh, we do. We get to talk about what's biting. And we kick things off uh, with Bateman's Bay and a few reports around the offshore circles, the fish with bills, the bill fish. Um, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> What? What's wrong with that? I was impressed. I thought it actually wasn't too bad at all. Still, unfortunately, we're hearing the odd report of Marlin being caught, but it's not like they've gone absolutely berserk. Does that worry you? Because I know you've got a trip booked for Bermagui. It does worry me a bit. We just need this current to slow up, Patrick. We need it to change. And necessarily, when you say trip to Bermagui, like they've got to be flexible when you're chasing these fish. So you can't just have your mindset on one place. Now, you can, and that, but you need to understand if you do that, that you might have to travel up and down the coast from the destination that you're staying at if you want to catch fish. And places like Aladulla and whatnot up high you might need to go to or down to Eden or something along the lines, Tarthra. So either travelling by water, via water I should say, or on land you can travel up the hills with the boat on the back. So, yeah, you just got to be open to go to wherever the fish are if you're planning on heading up that way. Not everyone fishes for a living, mate, so that's really great advice. <laughs> uh, we, we head a little bit further north from Batemans Bay, uh, hearing good reports of fish out of Jarvis Bay, or Jervis Bay, depending on uh, your pronunciation. Uh, the scattered kingfish reports, some reports hitting the sort of 90-centimetre yeah. mark. Nothing above the metre mark um, like there was, I reckon, a, I reckon maybe a month ago, there was a metre-plus kingfish uh, caught out of the... Well, Marimbula. Was Burmy? it Marimbula, was I it? I think there was a couple of Burmy Out of the, the Harbour. Yeah, Burmy Harbour, and there's a few at Marimbula too. But nothing like that uh, this week. So hearing some around the 90-centimetre mark, which is good. Uh, hearing good reports of Rat Kings around Sydney Harbour and the Parramatta River fishing well for Brim. Once again, it's the structure uh, that's fishing well. mixture of bait and squid have been the preferred methods. As we head further north, Redmond, we're going to kick things off with Noosa. Yep. I was actually listening and watching a um, uh, Captain's Magazine review of Noosa Sport fishing charters actually during the week. There you go. Looks like a seriously good establishment if you're going to charter off there. But um, certainly fishing inside the Noosa River, there's great reports of brim to 40 centimetres, which a 40 centimetre brim is going to be a fish that's in excess of 10 years old. Uh, and the same good capture rates of flathead in there as well. And then as we head further north again, the challenges have quite clearly been uh, the weather in Queensland's been quite horrendous. And it's gone from, we don't call them, what do we call them in Australia? I was about to say hurricanes. It's not a cyclone. <laughs> cyclone reports, not full-blown cyclones, but there hasn't been great weather to, to, to say the least. That certainly obviously impacts... The bill fishing, you were speaking about the, the EAC, the East yep. Australian Current, last week and how that affects the fishing. Yeah, it's... Uh, the cyclones, like, it's... you just got to be real careful. Is more travelling on the water too, Pat. Like, that's... It's a 
people don't get me wrong, it affects fishing, it affects everything else, but the amount of logs and yeah. everything in between is just scary. Like traveling on water and you hit a one hit a log, a tree, you're gonna not only do damage to your boat, but you could kill yourself. So just travel a bit slower in certain areas or whatnot, or not even in certain areas, just where basically this cyclone has affected anywhere, whether it's floods or waterways, whatever it is, travel a little bit safer because Yes, the fishing will get affected, but the fishing will bounce back pretty quick. Fast, yeah. yeah. Where the logs and whatnot, they can hang around for a period of time, getting pushed up and down with certain currents and whatever in between. So, yeah, be mindful of that. Heading across the west, uh, Exmouth, um, well, doing as Exmouth does, hearing great reports of billfish. There's been some really nice sailfish being caught and the reefs working well for, what are those redfish called again? The Red Emperor, with coral yeah, trout. coral trout. One of those ones. They uh they got some beautiful GTs too, so yeah, that's on strike charters who I went with not too long ago. They're catching a lot of bloody fish. More than when I was there. I need to go back. <laughs> uh the What do you I was about to ask you what the waterway between Rottnest Island and well Perth Metro is, but it's wet. <laughs> it's wet. Uh there's been a few pelagic reports out of there, a few mackerel. Uh but once again if you go uh, off the jetties and off the rock walls around Fremantle, there's been some good scattered reports of some decent-sized snapper off the rocks, uh, which continues its fine work. Heading to South Australia. Oh, Coffin Bay. Henry's town. Some really good Samson fish have been re- reported in Coffin Bay. And King George Whiting around Port Sorrel to 42 centimetres. A few tuna starting to show up as well, uh, which is really good to see. I spoke on Ned's radio show, actually, our competitors the other week. I uh, spoke to Ned. Our and enemies. He's a little bit little bit quiet, the tuna fishery, uh, but they're starting to get better and better around that area uh, that Ned fishes, as well as Kangaroo Island and the like. So there's, it's, yeah, it's, the best is yet to come. Coming into, well, into Feb now, it's going to be some seriously good fishing. One of the things that has been really consistent, though, around KI has been the Australian salmon captures, which have been uh, certainly plentiful. Uh, heading across to the Apple Isle, Redmond, we're hearing good reports of Australian salmon out of Hobart. Yep. Fishing Metro. And then some school tuna kicking about down the south as well. Plenty of school tuna. Start. Yeah. Well, the other one was, was, was Eddie's Point. So I think it's Anson's Bay. Um Hearing some good reports around the southern bluefin tuna off there as well. Not massive fish, sort of that school size, but still hearing some decent reports out of there, which does that align with the Victorian coast and where Portland's at at the moment with the tuna fishery? Well, the th- yeah, very different. Like Portland, well, we may as well finish up South Australia, uh, Tassie leading into the Vic segment there, Pat, as while we do it. Now, Portland is a place that the continental shelf and the likes enclose out wide of Nelson, Cape Nelson Lighthouse and whatnot, they traditionally have the areas where the tuna through the winter, whether the school tuna or barrels. Now, during the summer months, they tend to push in closer. Now, there's probably fish out there, but they tend to push in closer in what they like to call the anchorage, which is where all the ships anchor before getting permission to come into the harbour at Portland. Now, now with the, uh, with the school fish that you're talking about as well, around Tasmania, they're all in close as well, so they're not out wide. There are a few fish out wide, but they're in close too. So, yeah, there's plenty of tuna right from South Australia into South Australia to where I am, whatnot, so it's really, really looking to shaping up to be another really good school run run of fish. Sorry, one I forgot was Binalong Bay. There were some really good snapper reports 
back to a Tassie fishery. Yep. Um, what about Western Port and Port Phillip yeah. Bay? So last week you spoke about the variety and just how well yep. the area is fishing, and that was a cross-section of both whiting. Um, you didn't speak about snapper, so I won't talk about those. You talked about gummy sharks fishing well. Glad we had... Uh, sorry, that was my phone playing through um, this morning. We can, we can edit that out. I know too. Um, and where the, the calamari are at the moment, where does that put snapper in the summer fishery? So, it's a good question. They're, they're there still. They're there in both Port Phillip and Western Port, but the fishing isn't as good as what it is when they're in that spawning time. So, basically, what I mean by that is... When they're spawning, they're feeding erratically. Yep. And in Western Port Bay right now, you'll still get some good snapper out of there. But you've got to, uh, you're also going to get some really good snapper out of Port Phillip too. But you just got to do a few more hours. It's not as as good. Yep. But it'll all kick off again. Western Port will have another little run, and Port Phillip definitely will have another run. So the snapper are well and truly worth catching. And like you said before, it's very similar to last week. The kingfish are bloody good, or pretty good. Tuna are tuna are everywhere. Yep. And Whiting is sensational in both bays, which is just so exciting because that's the bread and butter. Like, that is uh, the bread so and butter species. When so. you say the bread and butter, are you you're still working off tides trying to find that tides dirty are, water? Tides are everything. Yep. Tides are everything. If you're not fishing tides, you don't worry. Don't even bother fishing, to be honest with you. You need to... Yeah, so uh, when you say bread and butter, it's not just like go out and you guaranteed yep. yourself a feed of fish. You still need to yeah. manage when you go. Bread, what I mean by bread and butter is it's the fish that people can access so easily. Yep. It's in protected waters as such. You've got nice calm water. You've got uh, not too far travelling from ramps and you don't need to spend a lot of money to do it. Which so, is the opposite of what you're doing at the moment for well, tuna. If you're chasing fish. tuna, well you can have my, if you want to go Harvey's in my fuel bill, give me a ring. Because <laughs> it just costs a lot of money. The gear's a bit more t- like everything. And to be honest with you, everyone wants to eat whiting over yeah, over no. over. Uh, but they over prefer the cats, anyway. tuna, and kingfish. But, every, people, but yeah, the enjoyment of a rod screaming off yes. is the factor of it. But yes, there's plenty, plenty happening right across Port Phillip, Western Port, right down the coast of Portland. Port for everything's happening right now. We're in our best months of the year, as we're in February. It's my favourite month for fishing, and it should only get better until the end of February too. Beautiful work, Redmond. That is the whip around for Razorback Four by Four. There's nothing like Razorback Four by Four. You're listening to Real Adventures. You're listening to Real Adventures, talking all things fishing, boating and the great outdoors for Razorback 4x4, Australia's best four-wheel drive seat covers with protection like no other. And Club Marine. Need insurance for your boat or jet ski? Discover why boating's just better with Club Marine. It's now time for All Aboard for Club Marine. Need insurance for your Jet ski or boat, discover why boating's just better with Club Marine. And our special guest this morning, celebrating 20 years of iFish, is Australia's most recognisable angler, Paul Worsling. Good morning, PW. Good morning, Patrick. I'm glad you reminded me 20 years. It feels like 50. <laughs> Could you imagine 20 or, you know, it's probably a little, little further than that, 21, 22, like in terms of geez, I wonder if I could do it myself. And then you start the show and 20-odd years later, it's changed your life. Look, it is absolutely incredible. As a little boy growing up, you dreamt of playing footy, I assume, and I just dreamt of having a fishing TV show and and just being recognised for something I loved. 
And I would have been happy with 20 seconds of fishing television. If you had said, I'll give you 20 seconds on TV, I would have taken it with both hands. Uh, so 20 years, man, what a journey. And uh, I have been reminiscing. There's been some very, very good times, some, some tough times as well. But, man, it's been a fun journey. I was thinking during the week, just you mentioned reminiscing. I remember watching an eye fish, and I think it was a, I think it was a Haynes Hunter you were fishing out of, twin Evinrude E-Tex back when they were – like I'm talking the, the white Evinrude E-Tex in really early 2000 sort of thing um, – can can you remember the boats you've had throughout your your time? Like, how many are there? You, you're running out of hands and feet, mate. I, I am, and I've actually been very fortunate. I've been with almost every outboard manufacturer during that time. It started. Uh, it, was, it was almost Mercury, and then it wasn't, and then it was Honda, and then it went to Evinrude. I think then it was Suzuki, then it was Yamaha, then it was Suzuki, and these are all like times change. I dead set thought Evinrude was the best thing on the planet, and it turned out not to be. And I make. <laughs> But but you don't know at the time. You only know what you know at that time to do the best you can. And I called those engines Stormtrooper 1 and Stormtrooper 2. And um, <laughs> I loved every second, never had a problem with them. And it's just been a journey. The, it was a Haynes Hutter originally, a 560F from memory, a beautiful fiberglass boat. It was probably the second boat I owned. The first was Seafarer Victory. And then it's been a run of Stavycraft. I think there was a, a 659, another 659, a 2400. And then onto the extreme 795 Game King, a 605 Game King, a new 795 Game King has just arrived. And it's that classic story, Pat. You've got to crawl before you can walk, before you can run, and you've got to evolve. Uh, but I've loved every second, and uh, I wouldn't give up any mistake I've made. Speaking of, you know, that that, that transition, the making of the mistakes. What tell, talk us through the the risk with? All right, let's let's give it a crack. Let's actually try and build a show, build a supporter base, build a, um, you know, for, for one of the part, you need the, the partners to actually pay for the thing. How, how nervous was the beginning of investing in something that you don't know you're going, to get, you're going to get any sort of return? Absolutely terrifying. And I think everybody has the same problem that I still have to this day. Very few people believe in themselves enough. And it's very hard to believe in yourself because you're always a self-doubter. Will I make it? Will I get there? And you just have to put everything on the line and go, I'm going to do this. And my famous quote was, I think it was like, what I lack in experience, I will make up for with enthusiasm. And I just (laughs) worked and worked and and I had nothing else. And I remember remember going to companies for the first year of iFish back in 2004. And uh, I was saying to them, well, we're going to be the biggest of the best. They're going, it's not even a th- it's not even a thing, and I said, yeah, but we're going to make it a thing. I, everything I've ever touched turns to gold. You want to be on this? You need to back the. And I just backed myself, and uh, it's been amazing. Like John Dumpy back in the day backed me for the very first series with Shimano. Pat Levy backed me for the very first series. We were Neville nobody, and he still sponsors my show today. So it's been beautiful to actually pay back and have a great relationship with these people who backed us from day one. And you know what? Who's going to be the next Patrick Dangerfield? Who's going to be the next Paul Worsling? They've got to be out there. You've just got to be the one that can find them and back them. I've been fortunate enough to, to have done a few fishing trips with you throughout the years. Can you, can you take us to, and generally how it works, for, for those listening at home, it's at least a three-day mission. There's no such thing of, as producing a, a TV show in half an hour. That doesn't exist, Peter. But in terms of the effort to go to different places... Has there been a show where you thought, we are screwed here? 
We've got no fish. And then all of a sudden at the 11th hour, things have changed and it's turned into one of those sort of bucket list, you know, trips where it, it came together, but very, very late. Uh Yes, yes, about 511 of them. Uh, now, look, so it, there'd be more, but one that just brings to mind, I'll never forget fishing off Greymouth in New Zealand. We fished for 37 hours. It was a one-week trip overseas to catch one fish. And 37 hours Is this the tuna trip? It is, mate. It's yes, tuna I remember trip. this episode, yeah. Oh, yep. so 37 hours. I hadn't slept. I sat in the chair. I was having V's and Red Bulls, and I think the deckies were having something else. And my producer at the time walked up, and he said to me, Paul, what's plan B? And I said, mate, there is no plan B. We need to catch this fish. And after 45 hours, we were done. And literally, we saw the arch on the sounder at 40 metres, put styrofoam inside the blue grenadier baits to make them swim and float more naturally. I'd, I'd hidden my hooks inside the bait. I'd done everything I could, and this fish literally ate the bait on the sounder, just just like a show that would come later, the tuna shows in America, ate off the sounder, that fish went 605 pounds, was the most famous fish in the world for a week, it was on every country in the world, I did a live cross from Singapore a week later, and it was just one of those things that went from absolute zero to absolute hero within one second, and that's why you just got to keep backing yourself, and if you keep trying... Eventually, even peanuts like me might come from. <laughs> the evolution of the show has clearly been the family element for you and Jet's grown up on TV. Um, whether that's a good, bad or indifferent thing, that's just been his life. Um, how's that been with the family dynamic of, you know, you go on the trips and then you come home and then managing school now and clearly he's got a, a huge passion for fishing. His passion for fishing makes me look like I don't care about it. It is, um, it is just, it's frustrating because he just never stops talking fishing. It's a beautiful thing. And an interesting thing happened in Tassie over the holidays. Apart from fishing 28 times a day for 30 days, he actually overstepped his dad. He's now over six foot tall and taller than me. So that dynamic's changed too. But it's been a beautiful thing to be able to actually enjoy something as a family, travel the world and live that together. I think it's probably the best blessing we could have ever had. And we've always said if, if TV ever ruins our family dynamic or we ever end up with a family we're not happy with because of the pressures of the outside world, we'll walk away tomorrow. And that hasn't happened yet. If it ever does, we'll be gone. But it's actually been really nice. We're, we're blessed. We've met amazing people. So far, we've got a very well-rounded son, and he absolutely loves fishing. So I think we're in a pretty good place. Before I let you go, you fish with some incredible people throughout your time. but probably the one that I can remember who sort of almost took your breath away, and you're not speechless often, um, the celebrity of Robson Green and his passion for fishing. Mate, what a legend. Like Jed said, they say you should never meet your heroes because you're probably <laughs> going to be disappointed. I've loved Robson because Jet grew up from two years old watching him on TV, watch every episode. And when I met Robson, he was better in real life than he ever could have been. We've, we've formed a wonderful friendship. He's such a champion. It was a proud moment. Christy, myself and Jet taking him out fishing, catching, catching tuna together and, and just enjoying that. And it's so nice to be able to communicate and talk to people who you've admired throughout your life. And I think that's where I'm very lucky too. I can, I can talk to some pretty cool people, get some awesome feedback. But that was one moment that I, if I put all the moments together, Patrick, apart from fishing with you, of course. <laughs> of course, that's, of course, absolutely. That's number one, two and three. <laughs> Rolfson's a very close four. 
Well, I Fish with BCF, hosted by the one and only Paul Worsling, is, of course, airing right throughout 2024, along with Jet and Paul's beautiful wife, Christy. It's the number one fishing show on TV. Uh, Ten Bold is where you can catch it. PW, thank you so much for your time this morning on Real Adventures. Pleasure, mate. Talk very soon. It's now time for Red's Review for Club Marine. Boating's just better with Club Marine Boat Insurance. Redmond, this week, on the back of... uh, We went up to Melbourne Marine Centre last week and it got us meandering through the aisles, looking at things we don't need and culminated with me buying a few new fishing knives because I like the look of them. But it was worth actually going through a bit of a proper review when it comes to fishing knives because whilst you can use anything to cut up bait, when it comes to preserving your catch from whiting to tuna, a decent knife is essential when well, it comes to looking after it I'm going to hold you on to that too because... You don't think you need something to... I think you need a good knife for bait. Really? I don't like... I don't like... I reckon that's the most important because it's the, quite often the times that you aren't... You're, you're rushing and doing things. And if you've got a blunt knife on a bait board, you're pushing, you're shoving, you can't get through, you feel yeah, it, you're trying to do things. You, I, I always have a good bait knife. A good bait knife, yeah. Perhaps I don't fish enough. There's nothing for my worse not than to trying to fill it a salmon or chunk up a salmon, and you can't. And the gummy sharks, you're trying to get a bait out, and you're going like duh, duh, trying to push through a bait, and you can't get through. So I'm going to hold you accountable for that. I'm, I'm making out. I'm going to steal your knife for a new bait, <laughs> bait knife. So can I ask you then? Yep. How much are you spending on a? Because I've got a cross section of uh, knives in front of me. You don't. I've got the computer this morning. Um, how much are you spending on a on a proper filleting knife yep. versus a bait knife? So you can get so many kits now. So quite often, what I do, right? Oh, you take oh, that's. Oh, is that where are you? Are you going pegging over it? my shoulder? No, well, I just know where my kits are at, Patrick. You can get Victory. You can get uh, F Dick knives. I think F Dick's what F Dick's what I'm running at the moment, and they're all these packs. And they come in, and you can get them quite cheap. Cheap. You can get a range of say three knives with a sharpener for what 150 bucks. Well, Even I was less look- at times. Maybe it's I'm a bit of a tight ass. I was looking at a six piece knife. It's yep. Primal is the brand. They were thirty four dollars. So maybe you're saying yep. you perhaps go a little bit. Um, I'd go a little bit more. More and what, expensive. And what I would do is when that like you use your knives right, and when one of them gets bad, they're not bad enough to not fill it. That's usually when I put it into the boat. I sharpen it, and it goes into the boat. Gotcha. And then I get a rotation system going. So you can get an F dick knife to replace one for around that. $20 mark, 50 yep. And they're a bloody... All the butchers use them. Yep. They're a great, great knife. But once again, going back to your original question with your tuna and whatnot, you need to have decent knives. Now, I've got a range of 105 bucks, I've just looked that up. There you go. For a FD pack. Three, for, pack of three. Uh, yep. hasn't, so that hasn't got the steel, that pack. So without the, so 100 bucks without the steel. Yep. And you get a steel... I've got a very expensive steel. I reckon like mine was about that $380 mark. Yes. But that's because I use it every single every day. Single day. I, I use it. I love, I love sharp knives. All my knives at home are razor sharp. And I'd use them on my kitchen knives, everything. So... Get a good steel. That's another crucial thing to having good knives. But also having dedicated knives for certain fish. So you've got your tuna knives and then you got... Well, you pretty much only need a couple. So tuna knives will do your tuna and gummies as such. Yep. And your knives that I keep as a, my bread and butter fish as such and my flatties and whiting, bit of a smaller knife, and they'll sit there for that. Because if I use them on my tuna, it stuffs my knives, the edges get cracks in. And with the tuna... You need them to be sharp, but you're not trying to fill it the fish as such. Like you tend to, with a tuna, you tend to just 
I guess, separate the cartilage that sort of holds the meat and the skin together to where the, to the backbone, and then it sort of peels off in a nice motion. Yeah, you're not gotcha. where a widening, you're actually going down and using the whole knife to, to fill up the whole fish. What, so, about, what about gumming sharks? Because they're like sharks destroy knives. Yeah, they do. Uh, so, once again, that's why I'm using my tuna knives. I don't yeah. use my filleting. Once the fish is cut, and like the fish and to, to the flesh, the yes. flesh and skin, and then to skin it and everything, I've actually got skinny knives too, which I use. But yeah, it's you can separate you can separate it all with your other knife as well, like with a, with a, with whatever knife you want. But it's just the damage of the skin that the tuna tuna is like cutting through fiberglass at times. Yeah. So it's about separating my knives for that aspect of it as such. And I, in fishing, it's it's just as important having rods because there's nothing worse than watching someone stuff up fillets of fish the, just a waste of fish really and, it, yep. and unfortunately you have to start somewhere and the only way to learn is by doing it so you are going to stuff up from the start but just stick at it keep practicing I've got plenty of videos on Salt Guide that show you how to do it we dumb it down as simple as possible for you so hopefully you can literally watch us do it and not waste too much fish and get going and have some beautiful fillets for dinner crumb whiting tacos Patrick Fishing Knives our Reds review uh, this morning, I was going to say F Dick Knives, but that's that, right. That's just a bit juvenile of me. <laughs> They're a good knife. <laughs> Never mind, I need to get on a break. <laughs> well, the last quarter's coming up this morning on Real Adventures. We hope you're enjoying this show all for Razorback 4x4. There's nothing like Razorback 4x4. You're listening to Real Adventures, talking all things fishing, boating, and the great outdoors for Razorback 4x4, Australia's best four-wheel drive seat covers with protection like no other. And Club Marine. Need insurance for your boat or jet ski? Discover why boating's just better with Club Marine. Welcome back to Real Adventures for Razorback 4x4. There's nothing like Razorback 4x4. It's time for Red's Tip. Redman, what do you have for us heading into the weekend this morning? Patrick, no one's listens to us. I'll tell you what, no one at all. No, we, that's not true. Oh, they do? Well, they might listen, but they don't listen. Okay, because go ahead. I, I, got, I, I know you don't like doing this, but look at that. I've got a little video playing here for you. And basically, what's happening is, I've got a guy... There's nothing like you playing a video uh, for I a I just want you show. to understand what I'm, the frustration that I've got of people not listening to me. It's pretty funny. There's a guy at a boat ramp, and he's got a nice, beautiful boat. Paint the picture beautiful for Beautiful boat. It's a Queenscliff boat. What boat is it, Patrick? I can't even remember. I didn't even look at the boat. It's but a, the engine was a Honda from memory. It's a Honda. It's one of those trimarans. Tri- okay. You? It's a beautiful hull. Anyway, he's come off the trailer, and he hasn't done what we teach you on Real Adventures every fair few months, it feels like. It's he, hasn't trimmed, he, has he hasn't trimmed his motor down much. He, so he trimmed it down on the trailer, and he's got this propeller... Out of the water as he's come off the trailer, and he's trying to navigate himself around the Queenscliff boat ramp. Now, what, what sort of grab do you have when your props out of the water? <laughs> of the water? Well, does you it, just does watch it, that video and you tell it, me. Does it grab it well? <laughs> it doesn't grab it at all, and it's literally trying to steer. Anyway, I had to finish up doing that, finishing the video, and he tried to go around, and it got very nasty. He didn't end real well next to the pier. But anyway, the Reds' tip this week were is: you, Were you kind to him? You tend to get a little bit. No, nah, I actually stayed. At, there was, I stayed away. I, he wasn't going. He doesn't listen to me. He doesn't listen to Real Adventures, Patrick. He doesn't listen to what I say. So, apologies if you miss the episode. But here's the tip: <laughs> put your engine in the water when you fall off the trailer. Look at how deep it is. Yes. And if you fall off the tra- trailer right, and your depth is at where it doesn't hit, as you fall off the trailer, trim your engine down to the depth, basically that it was on the trailer. Yeah. Because 
Otherwise, it's, it'll sit up. Otherwise, it sits out of the water. So, as you're on the trailer and you're falling off, yes, I understand you need to have it up a little bit so you don't hit the bottom. But as it falls off the trailer, trim your engine down. And you just make sure you don't hit the bottom, but trim it down so you've got control of your vessel, particularly in reverse. Early gaff, Patrick, I do apologise. No, but, I like that. But it was just, it was there the other day. I filmed and I thought it was re- relevant for this week's show. So it's not as relevant as the gaff, which we've had this image sent in a few times, taken at different angles. So it's obviously different people. But the gaff this week heads to, and the supermarket chain isn't named, but whiting at $120 a kilo. I'm all for it. You should start paying me some cash. My Godfather, that is the most uh, that is the most ridiculous thing I have ever heard. After I crumb the crap out of it, can I? All uh, I can taste is sweet and sour sauce. <laughs> can I seriously ask you a question? If you were to eat fish and you had a steak, a bit of chicken, or a piece of King George whiting, what would you enjoy the most? Steak. Steak. You wouldn't. Wouldn't. Sixty know. bucks. A kilo. And then would you go and chicken? That's for real. That's for real expensive stuff. Yep. And would you go? Would you go? Um, chicken. Chicken next. Oh, maybe a little bit of satay chicken. Okay, so where does the who's paying? And like you're well, obviously like, some I'm people I'm a little bit do. different because I'm, I'm a bit fished out with being a lot of. But are people paying that? Are people paying 120? You got a family of four. You need a kilo of fish, just under. You know why I'm really bad because I really like the, the taste of a an Australian salmon cut into nuggets. And do I like the taste of it, or is it just the fact that it's, it's covered in batter? It's it's crispy breadcrumbs, and then sweet and sour pork, uh, sweet and sour sauce. <laughs> That's sort of where I'm with it. Oh, I just can't justify this hundred and twenty dollars a kilo nah, for a King George whiting. And you know what? As well, it's on par with that. The, I, I love eating crayfish, and we're fortunate enough to be able to dive for them quite a bit. My but supply of not crayfish pay- has really dropped off, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, your supply has got a heart condition that doesn't get in as much <laughs> as possible because it's a bit life risky. But it's basically, <laughs> could you justify over no. Christmas $140 a kilo? No, it's ridiculous. For what you get out of a two kilo cray, you get a little bit of ass out of it, and that's about it. Let's be honest. Well, let's be honest. There's nothing wrong with a bit of ass. It anyway, got more than mine. <laughs> that wraps up the show. We hope you've enjoyed it this morning. Plenty more real, ad- real adventures next week. It is time for us to end. Uh, we'll see you then.